how was the antler experience yeah i i really think the antler experience was helping startup journey a lot mm -hmm. uh pre-antler i founded another company before an e-commerce company we sold 3 million products face masks to 30 countries mm -hmm. But it was a tough journey because I was alone. I was a solo founder and, and i I realized how hard it is to find a, a co-founder yeah. like that, that works really well with you or that clicks with, it's very important that you're entering a marriage. So personality, also the way you work and what the view you share of the company, mm -hmm. how to solve conflicts, all these are almost major things that you need to have as a good co-founder so you can ride through ups and downs together mm -hmm. and i think antler has been a great platform to actually meet so many minded people in the same stage wanted to do something that changed the world someone who's willing to take the risk right now and and i found my co-founder there and at the same time i think antler has been helping us with fundraising journey and also we have so much help also in recruitment vetting people because they have a huge network. The following is a conversation with Tini Fung, CEO and co-founder at Hypertype. Hypertype integrates your company data from different sources and creates knowledge from a sea of data and retrieves and drafts emails with the best relevant answers. Email is just the start and they are on a mission to build a living brain for your company. They are calling it the hyperbrain. In our conversation, we talk about challenges with using unstructured data and technical company data for better business insights, the early journey and being part of an accelerator handler having a unique value proposition in the crowded AI landscape, prioritizing user feedback to guide the expansion of product features, conflict resolution and better understanding between co-founders and more. Hi Tini, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. What inspired you to create Hypertype? What kind of uh, your problem you were trying to solve? Yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me. So what we are trying to solve in Hypertype is we see tons of information that we're storing in so many tools. And today there are 30 different tools that companies are using just to reply to the customers. So the information can be in different format, can be in sitting in your documents, your email history, your um, CRM system, but we're still manually searching for that data or extracting for those data, it takes a lot of time just to write a quality response, an informative response. And in this case, I used to work uh, with e-commerce and also I was in investment banking and any career, I was still um, searching for information just to respond to people. Mm -hmm. And and today it is very inefficient. And so we really want to change this and make data accessible anywhere, anytime you need it. Yeah. So this is what we want to change. Nice. And so you guys started way before like OpenAI was a thing, I believe. How challenging was it to start back then and what changed post their arrival? Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a really great question. Before OpenAI, we were using something called BERT. Mm -hmm. At the start of Hypertype, we are about retrieving information the right information at the right time. And so we are very into getting the accurate information from unstructured data. Mm -hmm. So we do need a language model that is quite big in order to understand the language itself and therefore understanding the context of any company specific question or answers needs to understand the products that, that you're selling a product to a specific kind of customers and not personal questions. Mm -hmm. So in this case, it's like we were using language model, but it was not the large language model. And when OpenAI came, it was more that it has 300 billion data instead of millions. Mm -hmm. So it's a much bigger language model, which means it's just more fluent language 
that I understand more context, but the, in terms of company specific context, it is still GPT today still struggle to understand very niche or company specific, very company type of uh, question because it's trained on internet data, right? So all the internet data is, can be very generic and not towards your products and services. So in hypertype, we're still trying to move the curve forward to understand better of how the AI should understand the products and services of your company and therefore becoming more domain specific rather than GPT today, uh, GPT today mm. alone is still very generic. Cool. So post the OpenAI launch, there must have been a lot of heat in terms of companies jumping in to do this fine tuning models with corporate data and whatnot. How do you differentiate as a product with those startups that are popping up? So company data, we today in hypertype, we sync and ingest, transform, embed all of the data that you have connected. Mm -hmm. So we built it in a way that is super easy for anyone just to do a one click connect and we can sync the data. So this is, this is the first step to do, which we didn't see a lot of companies doing except maybe, um, Google within Google stack or Microsoft Copilot within their stack. Or I think we see maybe CRM trying to do their own thing inside their stack. Mm -hmm. But the whole truth is that when you're communicating with customers, you have information sitting in so many different tools that you need to get access outside of these systems. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen these data being connected. It's still very much data is sitting silo in a lot of different tools. And, and, and at the same time, hypertype can really not just fine tune, but actually, but actually retrieving all these information from so many tools while solving something called data conflict. Mm -hmm which is still a challenge in the industry in retrieval augmented generation. Mm -hmm. So, which means if you have a product pricing that is in Sweden versus the product pricing in Norway, AI today will still not be able to distinguish it because the question can be the same, right? right? Like the question can be, what is the pricing for the product? The AI wouldn't know if this is for Sweden or for Norway. Mm -hmm. Customers can ask in so many ways about your medical products, but the answers is basically the same. Mm -hmm. We still see AI still struggle sometimes to get the information correctly. Mm -hmm. We're now at 80% accuracy. I would say we're very focused on getting the right information, whereas a lot of tools in the market, either they don't have the data to really get the information about your company, mm -hmm. or they get the wrong information, mm -hmm. or it's basically, there's no accuracy on it. But of course we see that hopefully we can move the industry forward into yeah, a more intelligent AI that knows your products and services and answer the right thing. Cool. So what's the primary use case for, so at the beginning you said, or in our last discussion, I'm sorry, you had mentioned about the genesis of this was responding to emails. And so what's the breadth of use case you cover today? Are you focused on being an email copilot that's hypersensitive to corporate data or you go beyond an email copilot? Yeah. So we only started from email because 80% of our business communications are in, uh, emails. Of course, chats are coming up, like chats are growing very fast, but it's still a small part of business communications today. Mm -hmm. So we only started in emails just because we want tons of data. Like we want to know how people are asking what they're asking. And at the same time, we built data integration towards where your information is sitting. So today we also have secure larger contract with mid-sized companies that have 300 employees with their customer support team, just to plug into Sendesk, because for example, Sendesk has a lot of our help articles, but at the same time, like the AI would not, it's a chatbot, right? They have a chatbots, but it's still very rule-based. You still have to, if this, then that, you write different scenarios by yourself. But for us is that we automatically fetch the right information for you. And then your the agent, we normally go for the support agent. So the support agent verify the data and then they hit, they may, maybe they personalize a little mm -hmm. bit, they hit send. 
So they still have, we talked to so many customer support teams, which we are focusing on this vertical because we see it's a urgent pain and a lot of com companies can really save a lot of money by just accelerating the customer communications. Mm -hmm. uh, and there, they also fetch data from their documents, from Notion, everywhere they store the information and also email history or chats. So not just inside the CRM system. So we really see that data is going everywhere. It can be from your ERP system, but we shouldn't have our own brain spending time just looking for this information and then compiling them. It should be AI that does it, rank it, score what is the most relevant answers. And that's what we do. Like it's not cell data. It's like constantly showing you the most relevant data be it someone change in a particular tool, can be in documents, it was updated. We sync every single second. So then basically you will always get the fresh information. Yeah. So we do, we plan to actually increase all of our data integration mm -hmm. to the tools where customer support are using today. Nice. And so you integrate deep, how many integrations roughly you support? for a given business today? Currently we support five integrations. Mm -hmm. So there's email history, different formats of Excel sheets, documents, and, and also notion. And we also have Calendly today, but we plan to increase it by two to three folds for the upcoming year, just because we saw huge demand on it. So we're launching something called HyperType X, which can go to any tabs. Mm -hmm browser. And so if you're in intercom browser, then you can use hypertype to get the data from your other, from where you store your information in and we read every single page or even every single paragraph inside your document, for example. So we're not just fetching the document. There are tons of tools that just like fetch document, right? Even Google is doing it, just fetching the document. But we actually look inside the document and then fetch the right answers for you. So that sentence out of, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. Oh. So the platform reads a lot of data. A lot of it is text spread across the company. Some of it might be in a different language. Right now, do you only do extraction and processing on English or are you language agnostic? How many languages do you support? So yeah, today we are handling over, of course, 95 languages as many like foundation models are already doing. So this language itself, it's, we have customers from over 50 countries and can be French, German, anything. It's a lot of languages that we can retrieve the data. So if you're writing, for example, we have customers who have multiple markets in Kemi, for example, Sweden and Norway, they speak two different languages, mm -hmm. but everything is stored in Swedish. But it doesn't matter what language it is because our AI would just read all the context in what the customer is, what language the customer is having, and then find the information, no matter what language it is, and rewrite it in their own language, in the language that your customer is preferring. So it doesn't matter what language you're storing in the database. Uh, which is quite powerful today. I, I think this is one of the things that actually why our customers are choosing us. Mm -hmm. Compared to many tools, you don't really get these kind of functionality cross markets, reading, retrieving, and re-ranking the data in different languages. So maybe let's dive a little bit on, on the customer side. Uh, could you share an instance where Hypertype dramatically improved the client's experience or a customer experience uh, just to understand in reality, what's that aha? moment. Sure. So we have a customer, we have, we are targeting small, medium sized companies right now because they're pretty much AI adopters. Mm -hmm. I think one of our top customers, they are sending hundred emails per day. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is a medical product that they're selling in obesity. So it's an application. It's a SaaS company, SaaS based company. We see that they have tons of online communications and hundred emails per day, and they have maybe three support agents that are, they're scaling their team right now because they're getting so many customers asking about this new product. And this product is normally requiring quite 
technical information or payment method can be very different. And it's something that's the customer support teams have never really been educated about it before. So you join the company as in a new hire, right? Like you never train in obesity markets. Mm -hmm. So you don't know the product in depth on your first day, or maybe it takes a long time to learn about what answer is the best answer for the customers and guide them in the right way. Because for example, getting, giving medical advice is quite a, quite a, quite, like giving the wrong advice is a yes. very, yep. uh, a problem, a major problem in medical. So we actually, we were surprised even for these kind of companies that require, that has tons of product complexity payment, or the way that they handle customer flow is particularly require a lot of information. Mm -hmm. This is where we see, we save them. For example, if they have five employees saving, we can save at least 10 minutes <coughs> in each per email for on average of uh, all of our 3000 customer uh, users. Mm -hmm. We see that you can basically save $1 million uh, per year wow. just because you save 10 minutes off your per email and send, if you send 20 emails per day, mm -hmm. that's very low for a customer support. They normally send hundred emails per day. Mm -hmm. So then we really see we can save a lot of money. Like they don't need a huge customer support team and hire a lot of headcount. They can scale up and down with hypertype in off peak or low peak season. So it, it's, we see that AI is improving the whole cost savings and also productivity of the team. They become happier as well. We actually have comments uh, saying that hypertype is delivering high quality information at, at the same time, make their life more fun because it doesn't need to be, be so boring, right? Like answering emails, ha angry customers and, <laughs> or <laughs> these kind of yeah, customer support can be quite frustrating. Uh, yeah, it can be challenging. It can be challenging because yeah, customers on their happy days are happy, but on their um, unhappy days can be very brutal. Uh, to hear 10 minutes is a lot of time per email, wow. Yeah, if you think about finding information, opening all of your tabs and scrolling your 70 pages of documents, command F, and all these takes a lot of time. Um, Nice. Uh, so then this is a traditional use case. Have you seen things that you didn't think of, but now seem to be something that you're focusing on or at least added to your roadmap? What, one of the interesting things we see is that because we sync the email history, so we can find past historical answers in your email inbox and help you write it automatically. So not just fetching information <coughs> from tools. So yeah, it's, it's very exciting. It, I think the future, how we are going to move into is that we really see the brain gets, we call it the hyper brain, where it's all the contextual database, all the data gets synced in, updated, re-ranked. And we really see that as one part, it, it's going to become very important asset for each company. If you're selling your company, maybe that is the most important part because everyone's going to leave you have employees come and go, but the hyperbrain will always accumulate all the data you have. I love the name um, hyperbrain. Wow. <laughs> we came up with that. <laughs> we do. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's going to be very, like, you can have a hyperbrain of your yeah. own. So, and everyone can have their hyperbrain portable. So maybe we won't be talking to each other anymore. It will be our hyperbrain talking to each other. Oh, I wish not. <laughs> I hope not. One of the obvious questions you must be getting, uh, especially during your sales cycle is security. Like with, with you know, a lot of these emails getting synced across employees, across teams, not just emails. I think you integrate with so many pieces of information within the company. How uh, is that right now? Sure. Yeah. In the whole industry, as we mentioned before, regulation is still lagging behind, mm -hmm. but we in Hypertype really take data privacy and security very seriously on day one. So what we do is we have all the GDPR in place. And at the same time, we don't share data from one company to another. So all the data you have is stored, of course, in our cloud at the moment. But if you prefer, we can move it to private clouds. For example, bigger companies <coughs> would prefer that. It's depending on the policy of your company, how secure you want it to be. And we basically work together with companies to make sure that 
all the data is securely stored. The regulations are catching up, like you said, uh, across the globe, not just Europe. Uh, people are trying to figure out, governments are trying to figure out how do they regulate, whether it's US, India, Europe. Uh, do you see with these new regulations coming out, what do you see as an impact to one hypertype and companies like hypertype? It is, I think this is going to be another industrial revolution where government will be catching up and it's necessary for sure. I think we see Europe being the most strict region or, or yeah, much more than US or anywhere in the world. It is important, but it can hinder AI innovation. This is because we do need data to improve the AI. Mm -hmm. Without data, AI will just be stagnant. And there is a chance, of course, AI in the future could potentially be smarter than a human. And it is something that we can't avoid. I think this is going to come. But we do need to regulate in terms of how we handle the data. Is that necessary to be used in this way? Are we sharing data to third-party users? I think this is most of, most of the concern was it would people misuse my data. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I really see that a lot of companies are starting to step up right now, having SOC 2, having a GDPR compliant, but it will be like electric vehicles and or any other innovative markets that regulations will come as uh, technology advances. Yeah, I guess for the best, I think, of course, we can't avoid regulations. Uh, so there is a lot of work still to be done in AI, and hopefully we can move along together with the regulation. Um, yeah, at some point. Yeah. Uh, we've been operating in Europe for a while. Uh, how long have you guys been around? We've actually started in 2021 in July. So we got Antler investment. Oh. We started in Antler cohort number five in Stockholm. Nice. So yeah, but we spend, I think one, one part is that we spend quite a lot of time experimenting because it was a lot to get the right data in. We struggle at first for, I think for the first half of the year to, to fetch the right information when there's tons of noise. Mm -hmm. Then we realized that, oh, we need to remove noise in, for example, unstructured data, for example, signatures, inline messages or greetings, all these things impact the quality of the response. Yep. So we have to build, we learn over time what we need to build at the same time. How do we get, what kind of information do we also need? And it's not just in emails, actually in emails, we can find similar question answers. So we form that knowledge pair for all the companies. But we still, we learned that over the years, we do need not just email, but also other data sources to enrich what customer support really need to handle different customer scenario. And then at the same time, when OpenAI came, we saw that it's not just like OpenAI that can do the best work. And there are so many experiments, it's still a new market and it is expensive in terms of development R&D. Yeah. You can see that our UI is very easy to use. It looks like any other market. It's super easy for anyone to start. And this is our purpose. We want anyone to be able to start, but at the same time, it's built on top of very advanced AI infrastructure and a middleware that is syncing all of your data. And this took us a long time. So we actually launched the product last year in April, okay. and we still had technical bugs for the first few months. So we only started really launching the real product last year in August. We saw that actually it's important that we push out the whole product to the to public. That's because we need to learn how the data reacts. <coughs> yeah. The results, it can be unpredictable mm -hmm. until you launch to the real world. So that's where we learn much faster when we actually launch to companies, then we understand oh, this didn't work. We have to tune it this way. We have to change the prompt. We have to do restrictive prompts. We have to make sure that it doesn't hallucinate. It shouldn't say that we don't, it should not say the answer if it doesn't know, for example. There's so many things that we need to build in place to make sure that the quality of the answers are <coughs> high enough. Yeah, I can keep cooking. Uh, how was the, did you, how was the Antler experience? Did you meet all your co-founders? How many co-founders are you? So we are two. So Beatrice and I met in Antler. Mm -hmm. So I'm more on the product AI side. I used to work in robotics company. Mm -hmm. 
And Beatrice used to work in sales customer support and in iSettle. She's great in fire marketing. So she did, she's the best salesperson also in education first, a lot of different companies. So it's been a great ride working together with her. Nice. And so you both met at Antler. Exactly. I, we also have two other founding team members, mm -hmm. Tim, who's joined, who joined us from, he used to be in Swedish defense agency, Peltorian and uh, analyzing unstructured data mm -hmm. and also very sensitive data because it's the government as well. <laughs> and we, <laughs> and he worked in GPT for European languages. We also have a CTO, Henry, who's, who had been, who was the CTO of Bookmax. Mm. And we've been doing the applications, launching Chrome extension with him all along. So it's, it's a great team. We just complement each other in a very good way. Nice. Sounds like a pretty well-rounded team. Yeah. How was the Antler experience? Yeah, I, I really think the Antler experience was helping the startup journey a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, Pre-Antler, I founded another company before, an e-commerce company. We sold 3 million products, face masks to 30 countries. Mm -hmm. But it was a tough journey because I was alone. I was uh, a solo founder. And and I I realized how hard it is to find uh, a co-founder. Yep like that, that works really well with you or that clicks with, it's very important that you're entering a marriage. So personality, also the way you work and what the view you share of the company, how to solve conflicts, all these are almost major things that you need to have as a good co-founder. So you can ride through ups and downs together. Mm -hmm. And I think Antler has been a great platform to actually meet so many minded people in the same stage, wanted to do something that changed the world, someone who's willing to take the risk right now. And, and I found my co-founder there. And at the same time, I think Antler has been helping us with fundraising journey. And also we, we have so much help also in recruitment vetting people because they have a huge network. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, about, I think a lot of people thought about the equity, but ultimately the company is nothing if you only have hold all of the equity yourself, but Antler has been really worth it just to get the company started. That's the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah. I think percent of nothing is still nothing. Uh, so did you date a few founders before? Uh, or was it love at first sight? I think it's very interesting because we both told ourselves if we f didn't find anyone, it's fine for us. We will just do other things outside Antler. Mm. So it was more fate that linked us together by a coffee machine. Everyone was having IC already. We were the only ones that didn't have a co-founder. I have an idea that I really want to change, which is what Hypertype is doing today. And and we met by a coffee machine and she has been having the same pain in her whole career. And I've been in like, oh, we can use NLP to do this, to solve this. And then we just have two days before I see to <coughs> do all the logos, the business models, the whole pitch deck. So we put it, everything up in two days. And we found also someone technical to help us at the beginning to build an MVP in two days. Mm two weeks, not two days, but two weeks mm. just by plugging in BERT model. And then it shows the MPP, how it works. It's not perfect. It was in a control environment, but we still managed to, yeah, hack everything together. And show the vision. Um, yeah. Yeah. And show MVP. I think that's what investor always want to see. Does it work? Mm -hmm. So yeah, pre, pre GPT, no one thinks that no one believes that it can work. Yeah. But I, I knew it worked in robot, it should worked in emails, it's just text. Back then, no one believes that it, it's, uh, and it's nothing sexy, right? People didn't want to do emails, productivity and stuff that it's not, nothing sexy, but it's more, it's like solving emails that, but it's still a huge pain. It is still a huge pain. And I think a lot of problems are, if, if especially people who are trying to look for an idea, how uh, many ideas that are so boring, but their pain. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I just want to solve the personal pain that I have myself and also Beatrice. I think we got 10 LOI in two days, um, a letter of intent. Oh, a little bit about, uh, finding a co-founder, 
um, uh, and uh, startups before uh, how do you deal with uh, how do you deal with conflicts in the co-founding team now that you're not doing a startup alone and how do you make sure that you know this can still be made yeah i think we work in a very transparent way mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing because it's all about trust. Mm-hmm. There's so many ups and downs and sometimes you doubt each other, right? So I think it's more, we, we don't just talk about work. We talk about personal things. I think that's important because sometimes you just talk about business and didn't care about everything else. I think my co-founder really taught me one thing. It's, there's three triangles. There's like work, your personal life, and also your relationship like with your mm-hmm other people and either if either one of them didn't work out it will impact your work performance mm-hmm. or your startup work because the company is built on top of two of us so then it's important that we are balanced on all three three we always check with each other are you okay with it do you need help with that and also what is your situation here can i really help you and so it's just being transparent yeah makes sense i think he- you do get to spend so much time with your co-founders. It's only important that you connect and it is like a marriage. So it's not, it can't cost about work. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's say she even like, we, we were joking, like she even spent more time with me than my fiance. Mm-hmm. So we do argue, we just, but it's important that we can argue because otherwise it's, we can't tell each other why we're frustrated and then if we can't do that then we can't move on and everything will be like you stop working with each other in a way that is effective because you hold grudge on something and actually maybe that could be resolved by just talking over like going to room for one hour and just shout talk and cry whatever you you do and just tell each other your feelings why do you what what's happening what is your perspective because sometimes it's very funny Uh, sometimes it's very interesting. What I thought was different from what she thought. Mm. So we always have two different perspectives and that's where it clashes. There's miscommunication. So that could resolve, that could be resolved by just telling each other perspective mm-hmm. and then, oh, I see. That's how you think. I didn't know that. Yeah. And it was great that you tell me because then I would have holding it for half a year, then I wouldn't know. And yeah, so I think team dynamics is almost the first thing. Mm to yeah to make it work yeah and so it is work people don't see it like co-founding roles is is definitely a work uh any other relationship it's even a lot more work because you're under stress all the time you're always like under kpis you have to hit it so i think it's not just sometimes have to balance also both emotional and business so we can't be too emotional at the same time. We have to think about the company interests. Yeah. So it's, I think one of the things we did was a scorecard as well. We talk about each other's weaknesses or we say improvements. We don't say weakness. Like we say like strength and improvement. Mm-hmm. We write down all the points. This is what we did actually in the early days. Went into a room. We're not very happy in that stage. And then we're trying to say what we're not happy about. We call it the improvement. Very detailed stuff, very almost personal attack stuff, but it's actually good because then you know it, then you know it yourself. Oh, did I do this to her? That's not what I want to want to do. So you didn't realize what you did to the other sometimes because you're not perfect, right? You always learn as a CEO, you always learn and improve yourself, the way you talk and the way you behave and then how to manage a team. Everything is like you, you need to learn everything from scratch. We actually went through two hours just writing down each other's strength and improvements. And there are tons of improvements. Mostly we focus on yeah. that. So <laughs> then we know each other. Oh, okay. Like you can read that book. So there's a book that everyone should really read. It's called Surrounded by Idiots. You see what color you are in, what quadrant you're in what type of personality, how would you react in what way? And then you can see how do you work together because there's always going to be conflict the way you work. Um, if you're some, if you're more, if you're more outgoing, 
versus an intr- um, someone who's like they're quiet,、mm-hmm. they work differently. How do you balance that? How do you know that person's weakness and able to compensate that and understand, have understanding on it, and change the way you work so that you can make it work together? So there's so many just to realize who you are in what board quarter really work. Like. So know yourself you and your team members better, so you can see from their perspective, and they can see from yours. I guess always keeping the north star as the company. I guess exactly. I think yeah, we never know about each other's frustrations. So just by understanding how people work in what quadrant they are, like really make a difference. And so looking five years ahead, like to see. Hypertype going,、uh, taking the company next. So you have punched. You've got some traction.、Uh, this is so far that. Where where do you want to take Hypertype in the next three to five years? Yeah. So it's actually quite. This is our mission: is to make data flow seamlessly across any tools for employees to be able to rely on and share. The right information anywhere, anytime. So it's important for us to make sure that the information fetch is accurate,、mm-hmm. no matter where you get the information from. So this is how we can make the AI understand becoming a human expert of your company. We're making an expert brain that can represent. If you have ten thousand employees in your company, this brain is going to contain everything that ten thousand employees will know.、Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, we really see that it's not just going to stay in customer support. So we really see that AI will—we're forming a human expert brain that is not just going to stay in syncing information, getting you the right information. But the next step after that is that it should be able to make decision on its own for your company, and maybe present at least、mm. the decisions to you. And so, as a human. You get all this different scenario. Yeah, so it's like the Netflix movie called Heart of Stone. <laughs> It was not a good movie. I mean, I'm the tech, but yeah. Yeah, I really like the AI. How it's calculating the way, the routes, the best routes for you to take. It's almost like GPS, right? But in in the company sense, which route is the best? Calculate, predict the scenario.、Yeah. For now, is that we're predicting what is what people are sending. In what scenario we're predicting the replies? What is the best answer for, the, for this customer case?、Mm-hmm. And we're predicting、mm-hmm. the next best reply based on the information you have. So I think the next big thing will be like decision making. This is something we're moving towards too. After we get the information, knowing how to fetch the right information, and then the next thing is really using the information in a way that we can help. Humans to make decision, better decisions. Interesting. Yeah, difficult was it to get this off the ground, and what were some of the key challenges? Yeah, I think it's the. I always look at statistics, so I think the biggest challenge of startups not succeeding is because of lack of funding.、Mm-hmm. So I, the first day we found an antler. We tell ourselves after we got Antler investment, it's not going to last. Our product takes R and D, and it requires extensive R and D. It's an industry that requires a lot of experimentations, and so we set off to fundraise like on basically day one after we get Antler investment.、Wow. Yeah, and I think this is something that you don't learn from. Building, you learn after you build the startup, and but I learned from my background is investment banking. So I've seen a lot of startups running out of funds and and struggling to get the product out because it's just not enough funding. Not because the product's not good enough or the marketing is not good enough. It's more like startup always takes time to to pivot or to change things, and you, you, there's a lot of experiment experimentations to make it work. But time is. Essence, of course, but at the same time, money is important to hire the right people,、mm-hmm. and we see that talents talents are important to to actually make the company work,、mm-hmm. and that requires money. So that is the reason why we learn 
we, we fundraised in a very short timeline after Antler, we got six angels and then we have, <coughs> uh, we joined Sting and we got investment from Propel Capital as well as Sting and we fundraised from Lumina Ventures and we did it within the first year of, I think first within the first, I think six, six to 10 months, we have fundraised like 1 million exactly interesting yeah i think once money hit, hits the bank yeah people don't realize how short or how quickly it will run out if you don't pay attention to the see absolutely it does cost money unfortunately <laughs> especially i think also a lot of founders didn't realize before hitting pre-product market fit it's important to keep the burn rate really low yeah uh, and, and it is like a lot of founders would think it's a luxury, right? Everyone see the glam of media, but they didn't see that how much work there is to <laughs> make it work. Yeah. At the back of my mind. Yeah. A lot of founders actually reaching out and ask about that part, how hard it is to find, to start as, to found a company. I think Antler is only the start. And, and when you. Yeah go outside of answer that's when the game starts yeah. in fact to a certain degree you know people accepted to accelerators um, uh, this ecosystem support system initial bit of money yes you lose equity like you said earlier but at least you know for a bit it's almost like get an egg instead of directly being thrown on onto the world outside you have this incubation time where you can kind of mature a bit and come out and maybe have a lot more fighting chance. <clears throat> also, there are lots of tools right now, startup tools. They're really great for Kessel, for employee stock option. Mm -hmm. There are many materials right now to understand, are you giving out a lot? Of course, it has to make sense. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it is important to know that this can change, like you can it is hard later on. If you give out too much, you might not get it back, but there's always a way to get it back later on. And there's always like flexibility as long as you have good investors on board. I would say the most important thing is if you don't have a good investors that come on board, then don't take them because it's so important that you have the same vision, same ethics, basically good investors is important. And we're very lucky to have them and just to know that things can, equity can be bought back later. So a lot of big companies do that in the early stage. They even give it, give a lot to developers when they don't have money, because how would you get talents to work for you otherwise at the start? You need to motivate people. You need to give out equity. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something that's, that a lot of founders didn't know they can buy back later on, or there are many ways to do it. Just get the company execution is key. Yeah, moving fast. Yeah. How did you get the first customer? Yeah, I love this question. We launched on Product Hunt mm -hmm. and we won Product of the Day. And there we get like 200 customers, no, 200 users mm -hmm. within the first day. And, and then we have customers right away from there. Wow. Um, so we get customers every single day from product hunts, but then we learned something. It's not just about getting customers. Then we realized the product was just the data feedback was not completed. There's a lot of technical issues as well. There's the speed is the speed of loading is too slow. It's taking 10 seconds to load a reply versus live. People are only going to wait for one second. So it's a lot of technical problems that we have to solve when the market is still very new. Mm because we retrieve the data. We're not just generating. It slows down the speed much more than plugging in just open AI. Yeah. So we have technical challenges there. And then we solve it with the customers. We did have customers that are not happy because we are, we have nobody wants to use a product that is not working or too slow or something like that. We learn not to go too fast at first, just to learn from the customers and iterate fast. And then, so you don't burn all the marketing because there's, there are a lot of uh, feedback you can already get from customers, from the first customer. Yep. Then we did a lot of organic marketing. We did LinkedIn posts 
I think we have quite a lot of followers on LinkedIn, thousands of followers. Mm-hmm. And so we built a community in Product Hans. We didn't really have our own community, but we have a network on our LinkedIn. For some reason, it works. We do some creative videos. We even do Barbie on email productivity. So it's really fun to do that. Do something viral, basically. Mm. Um, that reached like 2,000 impressions. And I didn't catch that. It's like a LinkedIn post. We did some kind of TikTok ah. viral video. Mm-hmm. We also done, yeah, for the first customer, like we just did it on Product Hunt. And so I'm assuming your early customers that you got probably were not paid, right? Or they were paying. Uh, yeah, they were paying, but we have a very low pricing point back then. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, we have super low, like $5 when we first started. Oh, and. And unlimited, you say. <laughs> and that's because we couldn't, that's because we just want to get people to use. Yeah. We don't know how much they're going to use. So there's no point to limit it if you don't know the breaking point of people where they would up, where you can upsell them. So it's, so we started off with a lower pricing point first and also just to see how much they use and then encourage people to use more yeah. because you have like very low slow loading speed. So we're trying to get people to generate as much as possible mm-hmm. and see who are generated, tr- generating the highest amount and see who they are. So we know the sort of, are we hitting our ICP or not? And then we implement a pricing plan after that, when we see that we see statistics, where would people start to generate a lot more when they hit, for example, 45 generations, we saw that that is either they are generating even more or they stop generating. So there's like this breaking point. If they pass this breaking point, then uh, per month, then we know we can charge much higher because mm. they really mm. need it. So that's where we, based on statistics, understand that. Interesting. So at some point you did reprice it. How tackle the existing users? Were they happy with the new price or you let them be on the old price? Yeah, obviously we improve our product a yeah. lot. Uh, I think we, um, we launched new features, we did faster speed and we have did, we have redone the whole onboarding, all these hyperbrain, how it's storing data and everything. Like we actually improved so much that. We hit a point where we have to increase the pricing by 100 to 200 percent because we know the biggest cost today is generation yeah for every company it is generating it's expensive Mm -hmm. so it's like back in the days when we have mobile phones we call internationally that will call cost a lot of money but now it's free so for now is that is the most expensive thing is generating and you have to measure the cost like how much would that cost us to generate, to store the data, to sync new data, to actually share the data with their team and how much data to sync historically. Should we sync one year? Should we sync like 10,000 emails or what should we do with how much data we should do? Because at some point we saw that we hit a cost of 200K on just data per month. And then we're like, no, we, we can't do this. This is breaking our unit economics. So we then we implement something like a limitation on the usage mm-hmm. and also li- limit the integrations and how much data we sync for the user there. We actually lower all the costs down back to just 10,000 per month. That's a huge difference. And then we also optimize, of course, our infrastructure. In this case, then you measure the cost, how much, not just the cost, but also how much value you're really giving Mm -hmm. and the time savings that they could have, how much would they save if they use hypertype, for example, Mm -hmm. and then you use time value. So we, we think that this is just the beginning, like $59 for teams per month per seat. It's just the beginning. And we have $19 for solo right now per month per Mm -hmm. seat. We also have a free plan for people who just want to try out and we have seven day free trial, no matter which plan you're mm-hmm. on. 
And we see that pricing, if as long as we can deliver value, pricing is not really the concern to be, it's not a problem to raise pricing and people are happy to pay for it. We actually have people even automatically pay by themselves after onboarding without us onboarding anything, selling anything. It's like product led, but we do sales led on maybe mid sized company to talk to decision maker, but we mainly do product led for smaller companies mm. and uh, yeah, they just pay refer to maybe four more team members and then, or, and they pay together. Impressive. In, uh, you need any specific stack item or technology that you've used that has proved immensely useful to accelerate this onboarding? You mean the onboarding flow yeah. when we first so the first sign up to actually converting people to pay? Has there been like a tech stack item or a technology that you've used that has, you know, convert better, let's say? Sure. That's actually something we're still working on. We're not perfect on that. So we do have a drop off, like huge drop off still mm -hmm. today, but we have improved by 20% since we launched. Um, what we see is that it's best to just cut down the number of processes that people need to fill in or when they first on board. And also I think there's still a lot of education in Europe, how to install Chrome extension. So I highly recommend people to go on YouTube and follow the flywheel that Joe Thomas, the CEO of CEO and co-founder of Loom and how to improve the onboarding process, because there are many things you can focus on, but then you can't do everything at the same time. Yeah. It's like a flywheel that, that start from onboarding to start first generating a response and then to referrals. So it's like the whole wheel that needs to work to spin, to make your product, product growth work. So we've been working on the flywheel over and over again right now, and it's been helping us a lot to improve the metrics. And we're now growing 60% month on month on our nets MRR on average for the past five months now. So I think it's been really help us find out what works and what doesn't. Well, thanks for sharing. I'll, I'll make sure I post a link on the, um, of, uh, team and talent, uh, and is, is there any specific role you're looking to hire, uh, in less three to six months that is critical that you're trying to fill? Yeah, we're not actively hiring. We're six people. Mm -hmm. We're still keeping the same team. It's very efficient. Actually, you can, no, I think like, this is you can really a lot, which has a small That's, team. <laughs> if, if, you, if you can do it, this is the time to be lean. I, I don't think people need to go spending in 2024. If anything, um, they need to. Yeah. I think you see a lot of companies trying to cut, uh, jobs as well, yeah. because they saw there are a lot of idle tasks. When you have people, you do need to manage, uh, you, the you flow. need to almost manufacture tasks if they're sitting idle. Exactly. <laughs> so we only hire for, uh, if there's a need, yeah. if there's no need, we don't hire for that. Makes sense. So you had amazing traction in terms of marketing. You spoke at, I think web summit, any key lessons to get speaking engagements for other founders? How did you do manage to swing, swing that? Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a very good question. I think it's important for founders to be able to speak about their thoughts in this industry, in this ever-growing industry. Of course, we are in a segment that is very exciting. And so we do get a lot of press coverage from Ricket, DI, and um, a lot of Swedish news have featured us and we we're invited to dinners and uh, then that's where we met a lot of other, that's one part we met web summit, we got invited to the dinner and we also have a lot of dinner events that we got invited to from a lot of feces as well. And this is a great community. I think this was one part of building successful startup is just to spread the word to anyone go to. Of course, not too many events. We, we try to limit it. Like we only go to events like once every month. That's what we do. We don't want to waste too much time. If there's <laughs> not a very, we, we don't go to events where we 
we feel like it's not going to contribute much on the value. And I think it's very important to be conscious of your own time as a founder, because you can do so many things, but which thing is the most important. And, and we get some speaking opportunity and we choose, we only started doing, for example, podcasts, like right this month, Mm -hmm. if you don't know who you're targeting, then it's just a waste of money to spend everywhere. We make sure that we didn't spend marketing to everyone at first. Mm-hmm. So we actually started on organic first to see who's using more. Then we taught, we do more organic, some paid marketing to see whether it works like content marketing newsletter to see where the AI adopters are and the customer support teams. And that's where we like started to take off. And of course, our retention of the product is very important, not just marketing, but also you have to look into whether your product is sustainable, whether it's really delivering value, because then you might want to put a stop if people are maybe leaving your product. Because Coming in one way and getting out the other. <laughs> exactly. And it's so important just to pause on marketing if you see this is a trend, yeah. which we had in between April and July last year. So then when we fixed that, we saw people are staying for long time, like 103% retention. That's what we have in our revenue, even after 10, 10 months after launch. So we see that once we stabilize the product, once we also deliver value, do more data integration, then we started paid marketing because that's where we see people are staying with our products and people love our product. We're getting positive response. And we use also customer reference to reach out to some similar type of companies. Now we're starting to do outbound because we know what companies need hypertype right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, meet, go to events that are that where your customers are basically. Yeah. So keep it lean and mean until you figured out, go to a lot of dinners and parties. <laughs> I wouldn't say that's the, <laughs> that's the goal. I think we only did three. We did two events. We, no, we did only a few events. Yeah. Like no, I think events. you hit uh, the nail right there. A, a lot of times, and, and I've seen this and I've done that in the past as well. As a founder, you go into this event mode where you just keep like just going to event after event, I think you need to have a balance and you need to evaluate what event. Uh, yeah, so yeah we work. actually have an aim is we never pay for events. Hmm. We only go to events if we got invited to like either speaker events. I think it's important that not just time, but cost. Yep. And every time and, and the whole day is maybe we go, we don't go the whole day either. I think like going to events, you need to be smart, like maybe Maybe you don't need to stay there for the whole day. Like you can go there for one hour and see whether it's good or not. And then, or it's the events helping you to mass, like spread the word, like spread the word in to everyone or not, then is it worth going? And events is actually not where we generate leads, to be honest. Yeah. We actually only go there to generate more word of mouth, Mm -hmm. but leads actually come in through search and. We don't, we, we don't have a way to track it, but we, the best thing is to have a mix of marketing, but you don't need to spend a lot of money. And the best thing is not to do paid at first is to reach out your network. After your network, you know, who your ICP, your customers, you, maybe you need to make the onboarding better mm-hmm. because maybe people are struggling to even start using your product. Then you have to improve that before more marketing. So always have like balance and have a lot of experiments of what works, what doesn't, because speed is essence. There's no secret formula to like my last startup didn't even, we weren't running the same marketing, but my last startup can still go to 30 countries and without organically with SEO. So it's a different strategy for every single company, depending on who you're targeting to, does your tech work? Like is your onboarding good? The other one is, are people staying in your product? And then is it worth spending money right now? Have you found the ICP that you should target? If yes, then you should definitely go for it. But it's just trying all the ways you can as fast as you, as fast as possible. Then you'll find something that is ticking off. Oh, good advice. So much for uh, taking the time. It was uh, lovely. 
talking and um, yeah thanks thanks for your time uh, and being on the podcast yeah thanks for the opportunity i think it's great hopefully learn from other founders as well thank you so much for listening if you found this valuable you can subscribe to the show on apple podcast spotify or whatever your favorite podcast app is see you in the next episode